Welcome back to the AEC Hive, where we're talking about innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'm Ralph Montague, director at ArcDocs and co-founder of the AEC Hive. Hi, everyone. This is John Egan, CEO of BIM Launcher and co-founder at AEC Hive. Looking forward to today's discussion. We're very excited today to be joined by Amanda Wackendorf, who's the customer success lead at Eagle Point Software. Uh, Amanda, we look forward to an exciting conversation about one of my favorite topics, which is uh, competency in the, the AEC sector. And uh, maybe just to get things started, you might give us a little bit of introduction to yourself and to Eagle Point, and then we could take it from there. Absolutely, Ralph. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you uh, today about innovation and how organizations are leveraging learning to help facilitate in their innovation strategies and digitalization strategies. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the customer success team lead at Eagle Point Software. I've been with the organization for about four years and joined to help facilitate in the build out of our customer success team. But my background really is actually in social work and psychology. I come from the healthcare space where I spent 10 years helping organizations in building new facilities, changing modalities of care, really at the end of the day doing the same thing a lot of organizations in the AEC space struggle with, which is facilitating and change management and just helping users and helping team members to change their behaviors in order to grow and evolve. Excited to be here. Before we get into education, I've been quite fascinated because obviously we we know Eagle Point uh, about this idea of customer success, and it's it's quite a, a different function in a computer software company. Maybe do you want to explain a little bit for the listeners, like what is customer success team and what do they do, and you know why is it different to what say Eagle Point were doing ten years ago as a as a software company? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So. The customer success team at Eagle Point Software is rooted in helping to align our platform with organizational goals and structures. So as any firm knows, when you purchase a new software platform, the biggest hurdle that teams encounter is getting people to use it, is getting people to log in and actually leverage the new software that you've purchased. And that goes well beyond you know, the deployment and customization and, and just rollout of a software platform, but goes really deeply into messaging, getting alignment across the organization, creating motivation and drive to log in. And so what our customer success team members do is, first of all, none of them come from the software space, which is really just an interesting thing to think about. All of them come from backgrounds where they've helped organizations with change management strategies or helped clients with change management and project management strategies. So they do a lot of conversation with clients around things like organizational structure, internal goals, messaging, pathways for communication, and all of it ties back to helping organizations get value out of their purchase by making sure that it's rolled out in a way that's in alignment with company culture. So rather than just saying, here's your platform, we'll see you in a year when it's time for renewal, everything's up and running, it's really more of a a comprehensive partnership throughout the life of a subscription to make sure that the platform is getting utilization and creating value. There, it's a partnership is really what yeah. it is. It's very cool. I think it's a great, great idea. And I think it would be nice if many software companies did that because uh, that's often the problem with most software is you're given the software and uh, figure it out yourself and see if you get any value from it. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and I think when it comes to education and just to like bring it around to what 
to today's topic about building competency in the AEC sector, it's, I suppose, we live in a world now where there's so much information and people just don't know where to start and, you know, what to process and how to filter and you know, get to the right information. And I suppose at the same time, I don't know if it's fair to say, but most people are a little bit lazy. So like they don't really want to, you know, spend a lot of additional time learning. So how does customer success deal with that? Because that's obviously a challenge in a lot of organizations is you have people who feel, probably feel they know how to do their job. They've been doing it for the last 10, 20 years. Why should I do anything different? How do you bring people around? Say um, you can do so much more. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Ralph, you've hit the nail on the head on the fundamental challenges. I've always worked this way. It's always worked for me. Why would I change the way I've worked or why would I spend time learning a new way is fundamentally the challenge that every organization faces when they think about learning. One of the core ways that we, well, there's a few different ways that we help organizations tackle that, but one of the core ways is understanding the challenges users are facing. So, if my current methods of working are creating challenges for me, aligning the messaging to your learning strategy along those challenges. So if if the current way that I'm importing a model from an external source causes that model to break and I'm often having to go back through and do rework to repair that or spend a lot of time to repair the challenges that have happened through the way that I'm importing that data set, messaging the learning strategy in alignment to that particular challenge will help users to become motivated to consume that learning because now all of a sudden it resonates with an individual challenge that I'm facing as a user. So that's, I mean, the messaging is key. It has to resonate. We can't just say, hey, here's a great new course on an application we're trying to roll out. This is on the latest version that we're trying to roll out. You should go out and, and learn about it because the first thing that's going to happen is everybody's going to say, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. And, but if it resonates with a need and a challenge that I have as a user, I'll make time and I'll consume that learning. So the first strategy is the messaging. The second strategy really is getting leadership engagement and buy-in. When users have that engagement at the highest levels from, from their leadership to sponsor and endorse training, the messaging becomes even easier because now it's something that as an organization, we're embracing the concepts of change and we're embracing the concepts of learning. And we want our users to be the best users in the world. We want you to be innovative and cutting edge. And we want you to really be driving our company forward. And in order to do that, we, we really want to foster an environment of learning. And if you can bring those two pieces together, focusing messaging on the challenges that users are facing and bringing leadership sponsorship in to build a culture of learning, you'll hit it out of the park. That's yeah. really where it comes down to. So you're not really selling software. You're selling the users on the, the benefits to them individually. You know, how this, how's this going to make your individual life better? And uh, so that's the big sales challenge, not the not selling the platform. <laughs> you got it. You got it. It doesn't matter how cool and great the learning is. If I don't understand as a user how it's going to make my life better, I'll never watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose that's the, the issue. I mean, we're, we're moving into this digital age for the AEC sector. And when it comes to skills, and John, maybe this is where you could come in, because like, you obviously operate on the border between technology and, and the industry. And 
the skills in understanding even the basics of how data works, how data structure works, how platforms work, you know, and, and even if people want to get into scripting and coding and automating, you know, I would say that at the moment there's a very small minority of people who have competency and skill in those areas. So that's the enormous challenge as the whole industry tries to move into this digital age. We've got to bring many more people you know, into this digital environment, not just you know, the handful of experts, if you like. As an architect and a software developer, like would that be an, an accurate assessment of the industry in terms of the, the skill sets of it and the competencies available? Yes. About 10 years ago, I started on my journey of like really advancing beyond the standard BIM skill set. Um, so I started into visual programming and grasshopper. I spent years on my own, banging my head off the keyboard, really trying to get to grips with the software and make it work for me. And I always look back, even at the end of that two years, I look back and I, I think, wow, I wish I did that last two years better. I could have learned more effectively. But I think that, you know, to Amanda's point around users and and kind of explaining and selling the users on the value that this technology can bring to them, i.e. how it can make their lives better, is something that is often missed within the construction space. I think that, you know, there is a lot of People, you'll you'll see it you'll see it on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just cre- just completed my first Python course, just fin- completed my first C sharp course, and you're like, what are you doing? Why like visual programming is like a step higher than that, and it kind of creates abstractions around all the the complex things that are embedded within like Python and C sharp, etc. And you have these people just like aimlessly trying to learn new skills. And I think that it's a certain type of person that does that. I was one of them. So I'm just like, okay, this is really, really cool. I think that this can do really, really great things for me. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to invest all my time in learning it. Ten years later, I have accrued a skill set that, yeah, I have a crossover in skills between architecture and software development. And I, I would be, you know, in one of the a minority within within the construction space. But I think that, you know, my father is someone who actually works on the construction sites. He does not want to know about a computer. You know, the most advanced technology he uses is WhatsApp and email. Now, in fairness to him, WhatsApp and email actually offers a lot of value for the time that he's invested in learning how to use those tools. Whereas, yeah, I think like Amanda's bang on, you need to explain to people why this technology could be super valuable for them and they they would be a lot more willing to go uh, to go on the journey of adopting new technologies but mm. that would be my my perspective on it i think the well in this day and age there's no shortage of knowledge like you can i mean we it's fascinating we, we you know you've got the whole world at your fingertips through Google and YouTube and whatever. There's there's absolute tons of knowledge out there. So the biggest challenge for most people is how do you you know, how do you filter through all that noise and get down to you know, like what it is you need as an individual to progress you know, a little bit further. 
you know, so, and I think that's for people like yourself, John, maybe who don't mind sort of just diving in and trying stuff out. And, but I don't think a lot of people are like that. And, you know, they almost need some direction. You know, like just forget about all the noise, pick these two or three things and hone in on that and, and focus in on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I suppose in a way, Amanda, that's um, a little bit of what Eagle Point are, are doing is as a platform, you sort of, I, what I really like is you, you, you sort of assessing the skills of people, you, you matching those skills to particular roles, and then the platform is deciding, you know, what's relevant to you. And so you don't have to look at all the noise. You can just get targeted learning to develop your skills and competency in the area that's important to you. Do you think that's the, the key issue is that you have, to, you have to get people focused and get yeah. through all the noise? <laughs> Yeah, the, the noise is definitely a challenge. And even if you think about Google and YouTube and, and users going out there to get a solution, sometimes it's not the right solution and you end up doing more damage than good. But um, when it comes to organizations and and driving users into the right learning for them, yeah, assessing users and understanding where their skill gaps are is is a really good first step. Right. Because then you can understand where an individual user needs to increase their skill set and target training straight into that. So they're not spending time learning for the sake of learning. That's something we talk a lot about in in customer success and helping organizations understand a learning strategy that's not going to be mundane and that's not going to frustrate users. Users can't learn for the sake of learning. It has to be pointed at something. So pointed at my skill gaps is a really good circumstance to help users consume learning because now I know these are the areas I'm weak. I didn't know I was weak in those areas because we're humans. We don't know what we don't know until somebody tells us. And so consuming learning specifically in my skill gaps is key. And to speak a little bit to what you were saying, John, in relationship to wanting to increase my skill set, wanting to learn something new, but not really knowing where to start, having a good understanding of skill sets for your organization, organizational roles, what skills you want users to have as they move up within your organization, and then being able to tie learning into that is incredibly, incredibly helpful. Because then as a user comes into their annual review with their manager, and they say, I want to move up, I want a new challenge, the manager can say, okay, the next role forward needs to have these skills. To achieve those, these skills, here's your learning. And that way users can continue to grow their career. They can continue to move forward, but it's transparent. It's not this big mystery of why did my colleague get promoted and I didn't. It's transparent. It's easy. And it, again, helps users motivate on how they increase their skill set because now I can tie it to my career. And it's that easy message to give. Yeah. With that, when we talk about learning like, and, and how people learn, I mean, you, I can't remember the stats, but I mean, you, you remember something like 5% of what, what you, what you hear, maybe 10% of what you see. And yeah, you know, I can't remember the figures, but I mean, the way people actually learn to the point that a, a skill becomes a competency with, within their, their set is, is more than just listening to other people telling you stuff. Um, much more. I mean, you have to listen, you have to see, but then you also have to try it and make mistakes. And yeah, and yeah. that's, and I think that's the way people learn. 
And I suppose part of the, the problem with the internet and the noise, if you like, where people are just talking to you all the time, is there's so much of that, but you're only going to retain about 5% of it. So, you know, at the Eagle Point, what, what are you, what is your thinking about how is it that people learn and retain the skills and, and make those into core competencies? That's a challenge, right? And we're all trying to get project work done and stay on task and still increase our skills and still learn new things. And so there's a lot of competing priorities for that mental space. But when it comes to learning, what we've found organizations that organizations that are the most successful rather are taking a comprehensive approach. So it's a blended learning approach. They're doing, of course, video content. You can't get away from that. We're in the continued state of COVID, people are decentralized. They're learning from home. They're learning from their kitchens. So we, we video content's key, but keeping video content short, you know, five minutes or less, we're, we're all now that YouTube or TikTok generation that things have to be short and to the point and really concise and engaging. So video content that's engaging and short. When we, when I say a blended learning experience, we like to incorporate things like exercises. So downloadable data sets where users can walk through an exercise and they can start executing on the things that they just learned through the video content. And capping things off with quizzes is also helpful to do a nice skill check, making sure that, you know, for the video content, people were paying attention. They weren't watching TikTok. They were actually watching the videos they were supposed to be watching. But then lastly, also, you know, I think there's also a time and a place for live learning, right, for that live webinar experience or Q&A session and how we've helped organizations with that concept and making sure that that's not lost point in time is one, doing e-learning and lead up so that everyone joining that webinar has a fundamental foundational level of skill and understanding so we can ask informed questions. This isn't a basic introductory session now. This webinar holds more value. People are more engaged. But post-webinar doing things like, a, you know, a continued follow-up e-learning course or potentially sharing out the recording and capturing that recording for folks that weren't able to, to visit it or participate in that session. And then on the back end, when you think about a learning strategy from an organizational perspective, doing configuring these sorts of strategies into a platform that allows organizations to track is really helpful because now organizations have transparency into who watched the video content or consumed the learning before the live event, who attended the live event, who watched the follow-up content. And being able to have that kind of insight gives organizations the ability to have transparency into who's engaged and mm -hmm. who's really participating in this learning. So a blended learning experience and kind of keeping an eye on who's participating is key, yeah. especially, like I said, as we think about the decentralization of, of teams. And, and I feel maybe a little bit of what's been lost in the industry has been that sort of on-the-job learning. You know, the you know, if you go back many years now, now I'm showing my age, but uh, you, know, you had apprenticeships and people would start off and they would have a mentor and there was this relationship between somebody who had a lot of experience and somebody who had very little experience. And, you know, there was this working together and that sort of constant sharing of knowledge and, and practice as well. And the, the, the young person would, you know, try something and be told, no, well, you actually did that wrong, but, and this is why. And, 
and then in the modern world, it's, it's become so fast and, and that those sort of apprentice-mentor relationships have been lost, I think. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe that's a question. Maybe that's a question. Has it been lost or how can we perpetuate those, that sharing of knowledge from the, the older generation to the younger generation? Um, you know, most younger people probably think the older generation has nothing to teach them. But uh, <laughs> So lots yeah. of questions. I suppose there's a few questions there. One is, do you feel that that style of learning, that sort of mentor-apprentice relationship style of learning has been lost and how can we maybe gain some of that back in a new technologically advanced um, industry? Yeah. You know, I think to some degree it, we're probably seeing it, it drop off just and a lot of that is I think due to the rapid pace of work. Those experts that would have spent time mentoring users and really sitting down and sitting with a new team member and coaching them, they're 100% on project work. These guys are are busy. They're really being asked to do a lot of things. So that yeah, mentorship billable, billable role is fine. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're competing with billable hours exactly. So that mentorship role takes time. So certainly, I think we've we're seeing a a decrease in that, just with the competitive nature of where do these people spend their time. One of the ways that we're seeing organizations shift is take. Those subject matter experts, those people that used to be mentors to one or two or some small number of users, rather than them spending time mentoring one or two or a small number of users, having them spend a little bit of that time documenting their knowledge. So creating custom learning or custom best practices or custom workflows that can then be shared out wider across the organization. So rather than them spending their non-billable time with a couple of the users, having them spend that non-billable time to document some of their knowledge that can then be shared and replicated has created a lot of value for organizations because the marketplace for talent is so incredibly competitive right now that when that expert decides to either retire or move on to another organization, unless they took the time to document that knowledge, that knowledge is walking out the door with them. And that's a huge loss for companies. So that knowledge capture within organizations is critical. So previously, I suppose, people had the knowledge in their heads and they would typically have stayed with an organization probably for most of their career. But, I mean, that's not the, that's not the, the way things work anymore. And people are moving around a lot. And, as you say, the knowledge has to be captured. Yeah. Or yeah. the organization has lost that investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, as we continue to get more and more digital, you know, the competitiveness for top talent gets harder and harder because now you're not competing against just other firms in your city. You're competing against other firms in your country or other firms in the world that the top talent can go and work for and just work remote. So capturing that knowledge and giving them also the opportunity to share that for a lot of those super users creates that validation and that sense of worth and that acknowledgement that they're looking for. So not only are you seeking to capture that knowledge from them in order to share it with your firm, but you're also wanting to engage them and keep them at your firm and help them to understand how valuable they are. Mm. Um, so that's, it's an important piece in just maintaining talent is getting those super users engaged on a more strategic level than just slamming them with project work all the time. You've got to get them engaged and validated as well. 
Absolutely. I mean, how does it work in the software industry, John, with the relationship between, say, younger, less experienced developers and uh, sort of older, more experienced developers? I know when, like, I don't know a lot about software, but the way code is developed, you know, you break off a branch in GitHub and a younger person could be trying something out without the threat of destroying the whole um, um, software program and you know, a senior person could then go and review that code and before it gets uh, yeah. fed back into the overall program. So there's a lot of interesting where technology is, is sort of assisting that apprenticeship, mentorship relationship without the threat of, let's say, breaking the this, the, the overall code, where you know, and and I think that's the way it used to work in in project sites in construction. You'd have a lot of young people on site, and they'd be given small tasks to do, where there was less threat. I mean, if they, if they didn't complete the task correctly, it could be corrected. It wasn't going to destroy the project or you know do anything significant, and uh, and that's how they learned. You know, so what can hmm. AC learn from the way knowledge is? captured and shared within the software industry. Is there anything we can learn? (laughs) (laughs) So I've kind of, I've um, opposing views on this. I have gone from enforcing or uh, not enforcing, I think it's the wrong word, but within my organization, I've, I've gone from an approach where we document everything, you know, everything is, you know, like those work work guides that Amanda was talking about, I was you know all about that. We all wanted we wanted one centralized knowledge base, and what we found was as soon as it, the knowledge was imparted, it was out of date because no more than myself, no more than you asking me this question, Ralph. I'm using this as an opportunity to grow my thought process on the topic. What can the AAC industry learn from software development? Have I, I haven't actually posed that question to myself before. But interestingly, this, the answer is, I suppose, fresh in my head because we had this conversation today um, with the team. And what we were trying to do was understand how we could make architectural changes to our software how we could replace different components of it, how we could uh, refactor the code base and ensure that it's still delivered on its purpose, and how it was established amongst the team that how that would be possible is by writing tests. And tests would be wrapping individual components. So we would be tech, we would be testing the purpose and how that code actually worked during its runtime. And we could essentially take that piece of code, give it to a junior if that was what we wanted to do with it. Um, he could refactor it, change it, do what he wanted to it. And as long as it passed the test at the end of the day, we knew it worked and was safe to integrate or in, pull into the code base. Interestingly, you know, you've two different types of testing in software development. You've unit tests, which are testing individual pieces of the code base, and then you've integration tests, which is the end-to-end testing, ensuring that the software does what it's supposed to do for the customer. What you can take from that, you you tell me. <laughs> well, testing, I suppose. Uh, testing, yeah. Yeah, so don't just... Don't just take junior people without skills and throw them into a task to fail. Don't set people up for, to fail. Set them up to succeed. And check, I think, check success. 
I think that's where the testing is, is see how people are doing. So, you know, I think that's that would be my experience of the AC sector is firstly, the industry is operating on such a low margin that the idea of investing money and time into the development of people is is quite a foreign idea. You know, so that's not to say that people don't, the companies don't do it, but they probably don't do it as as much as other sectors. You know, they're not as, as investing as much time and as much money. And I think that's that's purely a result of the low margins that companies are operating on. That the the amount of free time or free profits or to invest in R&D and, and development of of staff is is quite low compared to other sectors. So that and it's kind of a chicken and egg thing because you know if if the industry was more productive, then they would probably be more profitable and they would have more time and more money to invest in further development, which would then make them more productive again and you know they would get into a positive cycle. And by not investing in people's development and time. They go into a negative cycle because they become less productive. Uh, people are, you know, resentful maybe even of how the, the company or the industry is treating them and, and therefore they're not putting their best effort. Yeah. You know, so, and, and when the, the company becomes less productive, they make less profits and, you know, so it's, I think it's this positive cycle and negative cycle that's, that's, that's operating. Uh, and it's very difficult, I suppose, when you're in the negative cycle to, to turn it around. Fortunately, there's many good companies in the industry that are, that have recognized the importance of people and particularly in this day and age when there's such a shortage of skills in the sector, people are beginning to realize, realize if we don't look after our people, we're really going to be screwed <laughs> as companies, excuse the word. And uh, But that's probably the best word to describe. Yeah, So it's great to see that the AC sector are seeing that and there's a renewed interest in looking after people and bringing people up through the ranks. But I still, I still think a lot of companies are struggling on how to do that. You've, you've actually raised a good point there, Ralph. And one thing that I think that the software, or in particular my team, one thing that I've observed is that the team members like to do things right as opposed to rushed. And when they're doing things right, they're learning. They're, you know, really building on on their knowledge on how to do things right. And also that level of right is embedded within the software as well. So you have the right abstractions, the right design or architectures within the software is chosen because the time has been taken to really invest invest in, in the design. What might mm-hmm. I found my team and software developers don't like is rushing, having to push together components of software without proper testing and consideration And then ultimately what we call in the software industry is you build technical debt and you have to work with this test technical debt moving forward. So me as a leader within my organization, what I'm continuously doing is trying to balance the needs of the business, i.e., okay, you know, i.e., we need to build a new integration that moves data between this software and this software, this tool within the software and this tool and this software. And this customer needs it in eight weeks, let's say. I'm saying to my team, okay, what do you think we can do it in? And they're saying, well, if we do it right, it could take 12 weeks. If we do it rushed, it could take six. And I'm trying to balance the needs of my customer and my team to get that right balance on the right level of investment in learning and doing it right 
and the right level of you know by my customer as well. So mm. it's a- tricky. Yeah, I think Eagle Point are an interesting company for this discussion because Eagle Point started as a software company, so software development, creating add-ons and plugins. So, I mean, you've been in that business for. 20 years or more maybe and yeah um, 35 now or greater than 35 <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then um and then you was it 2006 you transitioned into this sort of e-learning and knowledge management space and uh, and i suppose in the the more recent years you've also sort of added this customer success piece which in itself is almost a, an additional piece an enterprise customer support you know which is which is making you like a leader in that area so you, you've got all these three sort of types of businesses that you've had and always focused in the AEC sector so you, you probably have a lot to bring to the way people learn and develop and become more productive you know Ralph coming back to what you were saying and to to also piggyback on what John was saying in relationship to how organizations all say make time and make money for training, you know, it, it all comes down to where organizations want to pay. I mean, if you want, if you want to pay on the front end to help your team be efficient and effective and knowledgeable, then, then it comes down to your learning strategy and, and making that strategic. If organizations choose not to invest that way, which many don't, and that's fine, and every business is different, but then they have to understand that they're going to pay in another way. They're going to pay in rework. They're going to pay in things breaking. They're going to pay in team members leaving and mm-hmm. having to recruit. And and inevitably, when they recruit and onboard new team members, the time it takes to onboard. So when you think about a learning strategy, a lot of times the conversation we're having at a leadership level is where are where is the organization currently losing money? Where are we losing efficiency? If a lot of times that efficiency lost is in um, project rework and project errors. Yeah. And people leaving just wanting or people wanting a clear and concise path forward and how they can be supported by an organization is, is now so much more important. I talked to a lot of leadership team members that say, well, when I started out and you wanted to learn something new, you did it on nights and weekends when you were at home. That wasn't part of your job. When you came to work, you worked on project work. And the shift that's happened in the organization is new and upcoming talent expect that that's part of their benefits now. It's just what we're seeing in the space. And many of the more cutting edge firms that are really embracing that. And you don't have to, you don't have to go full war in. You don't have to say, okay, we're going to give everybody five hours a month for training. It can be as simple as you have one hour a month or five hours a quarter, or it doesn't have to be a lot, mm-hmm. but providing people the opportunity to learn and creating a, a culture that supports learning can really actually shift those tables and creates a lot of savings for organizations when they think about the, the loss of revenue and the loss of income that can happen through not only turnover of employees, but just basic rework and errors on projects that go out. And, how do you think technology, because, well, obviously, Eagle Point have a technology that's supporting the you know, building competency and educating people. You know, because I, I think for a lot of owners of businesses and managers and things, they, they'd probably agree with everything we're saying. Yes, of course, we must. We need to help people. We need to bring people up. We've got to become more productive. Like, I don't, any, I don't think anybody would disagree with those things, but, 
but I would imagine that for a lot of business leaders and managers, they're thinking, that's going to be extra work for me because I've got to now determine for each of my staff what their skill gaps are. I've got to go and monitor that they're actually doing or, or progressing. And, you know, so now I've suddenly I've got all, I'm busy enough as it is, and I've got all this extra work to do, you know, to try and help staff. And, and uh, so I think, you know, the, the interesting thing about Eagle Point is it, you're saying, well, the technology can do a lot of that for you so that... Mm-hmm. That management of the the progression, the path that you described there, the, the progression of your your career and everything. Can, do you want to talk a little bit about how technology is supporting digital yeah. com- competency path? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know firms have to rely on technology to be effective here. If you want to build a digital competency and skills matrix in Excel, you're going to really spend a lot of time doing that. So there's got to be some automation and some technology to back back that up. Um, Really what we've done and what we encourage our clients to do is to leverage a skills assessment. So we have the knowledge smart feature set that's, those are skills, skills assessments. It's not a survey. It's not a questionnaire on how good a user feels they are in Revit. It's, it's an actual skills assessment, Uh, not targeted at necessarily judging users. You know, that's key. It's key to make sure users understand this is not a skills assessment isn't fundamentally sent to you as a way to measure your skills. It's a way to help us as an organization navigate our learning learning strategy. So if all of our users believe they're experts, but our skills assessment tells them they, they're novice or they're beginner users, we've got a lot of learning to do. But if our if our skills assessment tells tells us that the majority of our users are intermediate and we want to bring them up to that expert level, now we can really pare back our learning and targetedly learn at those skill gaps in an automated way, right? We can do this to where they're automatically sent assessments. And as soon as they complete that assessment, they're automatically given their personalized learning. And from a management perspective, the only thing I'm doing is getting reminders if somebody doesn't do it by their due date, right? If, if, if I set them a due date and they miss it, which happens many times, people get into the project work and they get really busy and they forget so I, as a manager now, the only real work I have is to tap my users on the shoulder and say, hey, you're supposed to do this by the end of this week. You've got today's Friday. You better make some time for it or I want you to make some time for it. And so then the legwork isn't in the configuration and the assessing and the assigning. That's all automated, but really in just the reminders. And how, how do we take that even further? Because I suppose training is one of those things. It's like exercise. You know, it's. You think about it and you think, oh, do I really have to do it? <laughs> um, you know, like it's the immediate thought is uh, it's not going to be fun. And now if you like you do exercise where you, you're for a reason and you want to keep fit and you want to, you know, and you've understood it and that's why you do it. Yeah. How do we get people past this idea that training is going to be something that I don't really want to do every day? Because I think the best way to learn, coming back to one of the earlier points, about learning is is this micro learning you spoke about like the best way to absorb something is in little pieces you know because you you can't just throw three days of training at somebody and expect them to remember it all so that means it's something you have to do every day like going for a walk or going for a run and you've got to see the benefit of so how do we make training fun in people's minds how do we like something they want to do rather than something they have to do yeah so so they don't 
so they don't have to be reminded you know, by the manager. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you have to do this. Or you should yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about messaging. That's that's the foundation, right? You have to start with messaging. But above and beyond that, there's a lot of really cool and exciting things organizations are doing to foster learning and build that environment around learning. You know, organizations can create things like, you know, we can work through badging and assignments and celebrations when users reach a certain skill level. There's a lot of incentive around just recognition. There's, you know, in the past, there's been a lot of organizations that will do things like incentive plans. So, you know, at, at the end of the month, whoever's done the most learning gets a gift card to Amazon or gets free lunch or gets some extra PTO. Those are always fun and exciting. One of the things, though, that carries just as much weight as those items or, or sometimes even more is just the recognition. It's just creating a leaderboard, you know, or users appreciate the opportunity to be recognized for their efforts. And so doing that in some sort of game or some sort of um, leaderboard or something that allows them to really get recognition in a fun and exciting way can absolutely help them to engage with the, the learning a little bit better. Another opportunity, though, lastly, to kind of round this out a little bit is just engaging learning content into project work. You know, there are, there are times where you are 100% billable and you just can't stop. And that's, you know, that is the reality of the space that we live in. And, you know, nobody within our firm or nobody within our customer success operates in, in the understanding that everybody's going to be given time for learning. So what we're encouraging organizations to do, what we've done and what we're hoping to see more of is ingrain learning into project work through just relevant population of learning. So uh, for instance, having an integration into the design tools is something we do. And so I, as an architect, when I'm working within Revit and running commands within that platform can have a little tool generating for me. Oh, you're, you just run this command. If you need additional help, here's a quick video. And that video is five minutes or less to give me just the information I need when I need it so that I can keep productive and keep working. Um, so really not pulling people completely out of production for learning is also another opportunity. Which, which is almost coming back to that idea of the apprenticeship or the, the mentorship. So it's, you know, as you're doing your job, somebody's on, on your shoulder, the back of your shoulder, sort of telling you, you can do this, you can do that. And which is a great way to learn. Again, you know, it's, it's about consistency of time each day rather than the big you know, three days training a year course, you know, it's, it's about doing a few minutes every day. It's like going for a walk every day. You know, it's, it's, you know, that's what is probably the best way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. And, and that also helps foster repetition. Like you said, Ralph, if you go off to a three day training, you're just not going to remember everything because chances are you're not going to use it for some time. And then we have that inevitable skills and knowledge loss as time passes and it's not being put to use. So, Doing it a little bit every day allows for better repetition and better just ingraining of that knowledge overall. What we've tried to do in ArcDocs to create a little bit of fun around the continuous learning, because obviously for our organization, continuous learning is critical to what we do. I mean, we have to be, everybody who works at ArcDocs has to be an expert level. And, uh, and so we created this sort of daily quiz that we, so each day the technology is sending out you know, a couple of questions for people. It's only taking a few minutes for them to answer. But, and 
out of that, it's creating a leaderboard so people can see where they are compared to others and a little bit of friendly competition just to keep people on their toes, I suppose. But, it, you know, like it's not, as I said, it's only a few minutes a day. And then we've also implemented the, the monthly skills assessment on a different topic. So we, we've gone through all the, the content and we've established what, what it is we need people to know about and we've divided it up in over a year. And so we pick a topic each month. People do an assessment. The assessment automatically assigns them into some upskilling within the platform. You know, so it's you know, just to make a little bit of fun. It's been interesting. That gamification of something which most yeah. people would see as negative, trying to make it a bit of fun. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The generally when we've really taken the time and implemented some gamification into a learning strategy. It's amazing the level of competitiveness people have and they get really excited and they want to stay on the top of that leaderboard or they want to stay in the top five. Um, and the second they drop off, all of a sudden you see their learning start ticking back up again. And it has to be a balance, right? You can't spend all of your time learning. You can't be, um, 100% in learning, but you know, just coming back to the messaging piece, if they understand the time and um, expectations on learning, you really can can create an environment that's both fun and um, and holistically based around learning. Mm. And I think you mentioned the point of the recognition because I mean a lot of people might be in bigger organisations in particular. You you might be you might be just sitting in a corner and and, and sometimes you might feel like you're just a, a number on the payroll. But yeah, suddenly you're getting recognised for the effort you've put in to advance your skills. Yeah. You know, by the company, by a manager, and it's, it's, it's pretty important for people to feel that they're recognized and appreciated. Yeah. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Great things happening, John. What do you, can you learn anything from, from the AC industry? <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm not that involved with companies within the AEC industry and their internal workings. You're talking about staff within the AEC or within organizations that operate in the AEC sectors, whereas I'm operating a software company on the fringes of the AEC sectors. We happen to uh, be very passionate about the construction space and we take all the opportunities that we can to speak with people in the cons- in, in organizations that are working in AEC sectors, but we don't actually get an appreciation for the internal cultures and you know the learning mechanisms that are put in place within organizations so yeah. if any of the listeners out there <laughs> think that um i've added value in this conversation and they think that i could add value for their organization i'd love to hear um and i'd love to have a chat about that so i'll, I'll leave it on that note <laughs> uh, i was thinking about that earlier that it's probably one of the first sectors that have been doing remote working forever because every project is on a different site and you can have a large organization, but it's spread across, you know, 50, 60 different sites. And so the whole idea of remote working has always been there. And now that technology supports remote working, I think one of the downfalls of that was teams on a particular site wouldn't be connected to the knowledge that the overall organization had. And so, you know, one team could be doing something on one site and doing something completely different on another side, and they wouldn't be learning from each other. So they wouldn't even be learning from their mistakes or the great things, anything they learned or uh, any great thing they discovered, that learning would be almost 
uh, left with just that individual team. So technology has suddenly allowed all that, that knowledge to flow back and forth from head office to each of the sites through the Internet. And the AEC sector has been ready for that. I think for those who have embraced the remote working and the remote knowledge sharing, I think the AEC sector can help. We have a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we've uh, we've come to the hour. So it's, um, Amanda, is there anything else you wanted to – maybe before we end, you, we, you'll be speaking at the upcoming BIM Coordinators um, Conference on – Building competency and, and education. Is there any particular key point you want to do? Tell us about. Give us a, a sneak peek and what it is you uh, you're going to be talking about. <laughs> well, I think Ralph, a lot of the concepts that we've talked about today, um, I plan to speak on more at that point in time. You know, when you think about this conversation today, we've started off with the concepts related to change management and how organizations just navigate the challenges related to implementing software. But translating those sorts of strategies into a learning a learning plan and a learning strategy organizationally makes a lot of sense. So we'll talk more about things like uh, key stakeholders, rollout challenges, um, and how to overcome them, and also messaging and how that can help further adoption not only of of learning strategies, but of at the end of the day of key softwares. Then that's what generates revenue for firms, and that's what generates positive ROI for them. It's not learning for learning, but it's learning to create that ROI and that that positive revenue stream. So yeah, I'm excited. I I think it's going to be a great event, Ralph. I've been watching excitedly as um, signups have continued to grow. So it should be a great opportunity. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And particularly this topic of building competency, because if you talk to any leader within the AC sector, the number one challenge they're all facing is a skills shortage. And I mean, the reality is you're not going to solve that shortage by hiring in people because there's a shortage. There's nobody to hire. <laughs> so yeah, like the, the, the key solution to that problem is to look at your current uh, staff and say, well, how can we upskill or build competency within our organization and become more productive with what we have rather than trying to you know, buy in skills? Um, exactly. So, so I think that will be a, a key solution to many people's problems. Well, it's, it's a solution for many things. Like more better productivity means better profitability, more competitiveness, you know, better quality. Like it's it just the the better productivity is a, is the answer to so many of the, the challenges that the AC sector is facing, including the skill shortage problem. So um, so yeah, I'm excited about that topic being included in the conference. So anyway, John, any final comments, questions, or nothing from me? Thanks, Ralph. Only um, obviously to thank Amanda for her time. It's been really enjoyable uh, listening to you share your wisdom about learning or learning competencies in AC. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for inviting me. It was my pleasure, and I'm excited to continue to work with your team there, Ralph. And yeah, it's been my honor. Thank you. And thank you from my side as well, Amanda. It was a great discussion. Um, you always know it's a good discussion when the time goes so quickly and could probably say so much more. But we look forward to the conversation carrying on at the conference. And so thanks for your time, and we'll talk again. Thank you.